Our lesson tonight comes from the book of Zechariah. Um, we're going to be doing some of an overview of some portions of this as we look at chapters 9 uh, through 11 this evening. We're looking at the destruction of the powers over Israel, as we found it uh, described in chapters 9 uh, through 11. Though my main focus is not going to be really chapters 9 and 10. My main focus is really going to be uh, concerning uh, what we find in chapter 11. But we want to begin first by looking at the judgments and the reign of the Messiah as it's described in chapters 9 and 10 of Zechariah. We talked a little bit this morning, as we saw there in Isaiah, uh, about the prophecy concerning Christ. And we have some uh, more things discussed uh, this evening as well in Zechariah. And so we want to begin, and all of the verses tonight will not be on the screen, so you're going to follow along with me as we go through Zechariah. Uh, but we want to begin by looking at the fall, what I call it here, what some of the others have called this as well, the fall of the heathens in chapter 9 and verses 1 uh, through 7. And we begin first by looking at verses 1 through 4, which says here, The burden of the word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach and Damascus is resting place for the eyes of men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord. Also against Hamath, which borders, borders on it, and against Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. For Tyre built herself a tower, heaped up silver like the dust and gold like the mire of the streets. Behold, the Lord will cast her out. He will destroy her power in the sea, and she will be, be devoured by fire. As you look here in the first, this first section of chapter 9, we find what we're finding is numerous cities and their powers, and, and, and because they are involved in sin, and how God's going to overcome them and how he's going to humble them. We find here that in verses 3 and 4, it mentions actually how Tyre was, quote, very wise, so they were actually wise in trade, uh, but they will go down. We find there in verse 4, how it's mentioned how she was very uh, wealthy there, verse 3 and 4. Uh, she, was heaped, she has heaped up silver like the dust and gold like the mire of the streets. Uh, but, verse 4, the Lord will cast her, cast her out. He will destroy her, her power in the sea, and she will be devoured by fire. You know, throughout the scriptures, we find that financial positions of people, regardless of wickedness or righteousness, is not what impresses God. It's always about their loyalty to him. You look at verses 3 and 4 here with Tyre. Uh, she is mentioned as one being wise uh, in silver, in the verse, or wise in trades. You find there at the end of verse 2. In verse 3, three her being, verse, uh, being very wealthy. But in verse 4, it doesn't matter. The Lord's going to cast her out because of the wickedness which she has been involved in. We also find Ezekiel described Tyre as a beautiful ship uh, that will be destroyed in Ezekiel chapter 27. We also find, look at verse 5 of the same chapter, that Gaza, uh, Ekron, and Eskelon will be shocked, or we might say appalled by the things that are going to happen. Eskelon shall see it in fear. Gaza also shall be very sorrowful, and Ekron, for he dried up her expectation. The king shall perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon shall not be inhabited. Again, more judgment against these people and against these uh, locations because of their wickedness. We find in verses 6 and 7 that outsiders will dwell there. 
they that remain, though, will be faithful to God. So look at verses 6 and 7. A mixed race shall settle in Ashdod, simply meaning a multitude of, some, some translations actually say strangers. The idea there is being uh, everyone's going to be coming in. It's going to be open for people to come and settle in Ashdod. And we'll, and we'll cut off the pride of the Philistines. He says next in ver, there in verse 7, I'll take away the blood from his mouth and the abominations from between his teeth. But he who remains, even he shall be for our God. And he shall be like a leader in Judah and Ekron, like a Jebusite. So we find even though there's going to be punishment upon the wicked, there is a small group that's still going to remain faithful to God. You know, even in, and when a car, if a congregation was to turn, use this phrase, to turn liberal, to, to depart from the scriptures, sometimes and oftentimes you find a small group that wants to remain faithful to God, and sometimes they'll stay trying to maybe turn things around. Sometimes they'll actually leave and go somewhere else to, to be able to worship as the scriptures teach. But it's not uncommon to find when we have large groups of wickedness, you'll still find a remnant or a small group that wants to do that which is right. And we have that referenced here in verse 7. But he who remains, even he shall be for our God. And he should be like a leader in Judah and Ekron, like a Jebusite. We find next, as you look at verse 8, that God will keep his own. The Bible says here again in Zechariah 9 and verse 8, I will camp around my house because, uh, because of the army. Because of him who passes by and, and him who returns, no more, no more shall an oppressor pass through them, for now I have seen with my eyes. So again, uh, God will keep those who are faithful to him. Again, also described as those that, towards the end of verse 7, those who are loyal to him. Next we find, uh, again, uh, the heading, the messianic king in his reign. We're looking at verse 9 and 10 of Zechariah chapter 9. We find here, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foil, the foal of a donkey. And we know this is a reference in the book of Matthew when Christ enters into Jerusalem. Remember, he enters onto the, the foal of a donkey there, a colt, as is mentioned here again in Zechariah 9 and verse 9. And so we have the pledge that is the spirit of the king mentioned here, a humble entrance. Uh, if you remember in Matthew's account, they, they're casting down palm leaves and things such as that, and somewhere in putting down their clothes for him to, to enter into the city upon. Uh, but he entered into the city there, as he mentions there in verse 9, a lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, a very humble entrance. Uh, Non, uh, you know, drawing non-attention, drawing uh, entrance. Even though he did draw attention, but not for, because of the way he entered, but because of who he was and who he is. Next, we find the character of of the king or the character of the kingdom. Looking at verse ten, he says, "I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth." And so the character of his kingdom, well, we know the church is the kingdom of God. The church spreads numerous places throughout the earth, throughout the world. And so it's not bound to one singular uh, location. We also find a reference there to his character. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. 
Well, what did Christ speak? Well, he spoke peace in the form of him preaching uh, the gospel, him bringing peace, glad tidings of peace, uh, bringing the message of salvation. We find next in verses 11 and following the victory of the sons of God over the sons of Greece. Looking at verses 11 and following, looking at verse 11 through 13, we find that God's people will be delivered even from their enemy, which is pictured as Greece in verses 11 uh, through 13. As for you also, because of the blood of, of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah, my bow, fitted the, the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. So again, God's people are going to be delivered from who? Against Greece, as he mentions there in verse 13, against your sons, O Greece and made you like the sword of a mighty man. And so God is going to deliver God's, deliver his people from uh, their enemy. Again, here pictured as being uh, Greece. In verses 14 through 17, we find the Lord will lead them to triumph. We find in verses 14 through 17, the Lord will be, will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like, like lightning. The Lord will, will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the, from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with, with sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if with wine. They shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them in that day as a flock of his people. For they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over, over his land. For, for, how great is, for how great is it is its goodness and how great is its beauty. Grain shall be like young men, uh, grain shall make like, shall make the young men thrive, and new wine the young women. And so we find here in verses 11 through uh, 14 through 17, the Lord is going to lead them through triumph. And it's numerous figures are given, numerous uh, descriptions are used to show how the Lord is going to give them victory. Verse 15 says, Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with sling stones, and he goes on to describe the various ways in which they will overcome them, how they will be mighty with power, and how they will be able to rejoice after their victories. We find in verse 17, it says there, for how great, how great is its goodness, and how great its beauty. The Lord's going to give them true victory over their enemies. Now, as you look in chapter 10, we have the redemption of the people of God. And again, this isn't meant to be incredibly detailed, so just remember that as we go through this. We look at verses 1 and 2, we find of chapter 10, they ask for help from God. They're to ask for help from God and not from idols. Ask the Lord for rain. In the time of latter rain, the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. For the idols speak delusion. The, the diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people, the people win uh, their way like sheep. They are, they are in trouble because there is no shepherd, which we'll talk more about in chapter 11. And so he's encouraging them to ask for help from him and not from idols. You may, notice there in verse 2 how he describes how the idols speak delusion. A delusion is something that's not really actually there. It's not, it's not a, a reality. The diviners envision lies. Those who say to see the future, that's what a diviner is. They envision lies. 
And he goes on and says, and tell false dreams. There was a time, I don't know if it is the case anymore. I'm not, I don't usually have the TV on this late at night. But there used to be those numbers you could call. And they say call. And when I was in, when I was younger, it was some Jamaican woman who was going to tell you their, she's going to tell you her, uh, your dreams and your, your hopes and your futures. I forget what her name was. It's something off the wall. And she charged, of course, a lot of money per minute. But she, what was she doing? Well, the same thing we find here in verse 2. The diviners envision lies. They tell you what you want to hear. If you're fearful something's going to happen, they may feed that fear to get you to listen more. Or they may try to comfort you to get you to listen more, whatever it may be. Uh, and they tell false dreams here in verse 2. They comfort in vain, which means there is no true comfort. So again, they're to ask help from God. You find there in verse 10, ask the Lord for rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. Again, the idea of a storm is going to unload masses, massive amount of rain, as you find there in verse 1. Then as we continue here, looking at verses 3 through 5, we find the Lord will provide righteous leaders. He'll provide righteous leaders. He says, my anger is kindled against the shepherds, Zechariah 10, verse 3, and I will punish the, the goat herds. For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the, the house of Judah, and will make them as his royal, royal horse in the battle. For him comes the corner, from him comes the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies and, and admire the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders on the horses shall be put to shame. And so again, this idea of righteous leaders is going to come out and do what? They're going to, they're going to uh, lead God's people. We find in verse 3, his anger is kindled against the shepherds. Why? Because they're not actual leaders. Shepherds, here's the idea of spiritual leaders. Well, they're not good leaders at all. Again, we'll talk more about that in chapter 11. He says in verse 5, who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets of the, of the, in the, mire of the streets in, in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. If the Lord is with them, then obviously they are righteous people. They are people who are pleasing to God, and God will provide such leaders. We find in verses 6 through 8, the both Judah and the house of Joseph, or Ephraim, will be redeemed and restored. In verses 6 through 8, he says, I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back, because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside. For I am the Lord their God, and I will hear them. Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their hearts shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, your children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice, shall rejoice in the Lord. I will, I will whistle for them and gather them, for I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. And so what's going to happen? Judah and the house of Joseph, or again Ephraim, will be redeemed. They're going to be restored. You find there in verse 6, he says, I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside. He says, it's going to be as if they have never left. Zechariah 10 and verse 6 there. Next we find in verses 9 through 11, that though they are scattered, the Lord will bring them back. He says, I will sow them among the, the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children, and they shall return. And I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. 
I'll bring them to the land of Gilead in Lebanon until no more room is found for them. He shall pass through the sea with affliction, and he shall strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up. Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall chill depart. <coughs> so we find, again, the Lord's going to bring them back. We find that phrase mentioned many times in verses 9 through 11. He says there, uh, they shall remember me in far countries, they shall live together with their children and they shall return verse verse 9 I will bring them to the land of Gilead in Lebanon verse 10 uh, then he says he's, he's going to pass he shall pass the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea and all the depths of the rivers shall dry up the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart so though they are scattered the Lord will bring them back to him and again go conquer anyone who comes up against uh, his people, those who are loyal to him. Then we find in verse 12, they will be uh, strengthened by the Lord and the walk and walk faithful with him. You find in verse 12, so I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. And so they're going to be faithful to God as they are, when they are brought back to him. Okay, now chapter 11. Like I said, this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time this evening. Looking at the descriptions of the good and the foolish shepherds described here in chapter 11. Here he says, beginning in chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 3. Thank you. In verses 1 through 3, we find lamentation of the humiliated land. And we look here in verses 1 through 3. He says, open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Well, O Cyprus, for the, for the cedar has fallen because the mighty trees are ruined. Well, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. There is, this, there is the sound of welling shepherds, for their glory is in ruins. There is the sound of roaring lions, for the pride of the, of, of the Jordan is in ruins. And so again, we find here, a great judgment upon uh, the people is described, and they are encouraged to open their doors to the required judgment because judgment was going to come. Judgment was coming. He says in verse 2 Well, O Cyprus, the cedar has fallen because the mighty trees are ruined. Well, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. There is a sound of welling shepherds. So you have there the image of these leaders welling because God's judgment was coming down upon them. And as we continue to read here, we begin to see why these things are happening. In verses 4 through uh, verse 14, you have descriptions of the good shepherd in verses 4 through uh, 14. You begin in verses 4 through 6, looking at the shepherd's loving care. Thus says the Lord, my God, feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them, those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their shepherds do not pity them. For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But indeed, I will give, every, give everyone into his neighbor's hand, into the hand of his king, they shall, they, they shall attack the land. And I will not deliver them from their hand. So I will feed 
So I fed the flock from, for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. I took, I took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty and the other I called bonds, and I fed the flock. Now, we find here in verses 4 through 6, as I got a little bit ahead of myself there, but look at verse 4, he says, Thus says Lord my God, feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners slaughter them and feels no guilt. Those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their shepherds do not pity them. So we have here a description of these shepherds who are about to be punished. They do not take care of the flock. They're pictured as selling the flock off for slaughter and, and feeling no guilt, saying, I am rich. And the shepherds do not pity them. Their shepherds do not pity them. He says, for I, for I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord, but indeed I will give, give everyone into his neighbor's hand, into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will deliver them from their, and I will not deliver them from their hand. So we find that punishment is going to come upon, no doubt, these, these shepherds. We find that the, the people here, the shepherds are not leading the flock. They're attacking them, something that, in contrast, of course, the great shepherd would not. We find in verse 7 and 8, the people's lack of appreciation here, as we see in verse 7, he says, So I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. I took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty, the other I called bonds, and fed the flock. I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. My, my soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. That's a very interesting verse. I dismissed the three shepherds. Now, some say that may not be literal, three shepherds. But I think the picture is very clear. Those who are shepherding over the flock, who are not doing as they should, the Lord dismissed them. He cast them out. They no longer could be leaders of the people. The Lord was the one doing the feeding we found there in verse 7. So I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular poor of the flock. I took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty, the other I called bonds, and I fed the flock. We'll come back to that here in just a moment. I dismissed the three shepherds, verse 8, in one month, which indicates that they had a very short period of time to, to show themselves as being faithful to God, that one month, which we say today about 30 days, right? And that's all it took for the Lord to dismiss them. He says in verse 8, He says, My soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Now, if we think about this for a second, did the shepherds do as they were supposed to be doing? Well, no, they did not. They did not listen to God. They did not follow after God's word. They did not meet the standard that God has for those who are leaders. Thus, in verse 8, he says, I dismiss the three shepherds. We continue reading here in verse 9 through verse 14. He says here, Then I said, I will not feed you. Let, let what is dying die, and what is perishing perish. Let those who are left eat, others eat each other's flesh. And I took my staff, beauty, and cut it in two, that, that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. So God is what the covenant they once had is now over because they were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to him. The shepherds most definitely were not. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said to them, if it is, if, if, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, if not, re refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, and they, and they princely, uh, 
And the princely price they set on me, so I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Then I cut in two my other my other staff bonds, that I might break the brother between break the brother between Judah and Israel. And so we find here the withdrawal of this of the shepherd, right? Their, their, their covenant is broken. The covenant is over. Now, as we continue reading, notice what happens next in verse 15. We, as we look at the descriptions of this foolish, of the foolish shepherd, in verse 15 and following. And the Lord said to me, Next, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land. He will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that, that steal the land. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. So as you look here in verses 15 and 16, we find here that these people are going to be given what they have earned. No doubt uh, this punishment by this foolish shepherd in verses 15 and 16 he says, for indeed I'll raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are, who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those who are broken, that are broken, nor feed those that, are still, that, that, stand, that still stand, but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. So that we find the conduct of this foolish shepherd, it's uncaring. And we find in verse 17, the overthrow of this foolish shepherd is mentioned here. Woe to the worthless shepherd who, who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely, shall completely wither, and his right eye shall be totally blinded. What we find in verse 17 is the Lord is going to remove and punish wicked, the wicked shepherd and the wicked leader. Now you think about Zechariah 9 and 10 and then Zechariah 11. We think about this description of these leaders who are not taking care of the people, the leaders who were leaving the people to be attacked, and then the people we find also later in verses 7 and 8, he would not heed and listen to the, the teaching of God, and the shepherds who were dismissed in verse 8 because they did not reach up to God's standard of leadership. And what happened, we find in verse 17, he says, Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. What happens when you leave a flock? They become completely and totally vulnerable to any kind of attack. And he says, They are that type of person is a worthless shepherd or a worthless leader. And verse 17 goes on to say, His sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall be completely withered shall completely wither, and his right eye shall be totally blinded. As we find here, the overthrow of wicked leaders, and the overthrow, really, of, of the wicked in general. And as you look at this idea we find in Zechariah 9 through 11, how God's people are encouraged to come back to him, how God's people will be blessed when they do, and how wicked leaders will be dealt with. We want to think about some lessons for us. We want to realize that God will bless those who return to him. As we go back to Zechariah chapter 10, looking at verses 6 through 8, he says here in verse 6 through 8 of Zechariah 10, 
I will strengthen the house of Judah. I also save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. God has mercy on those who come back to him. God strengthens those who return to him, and those who return to him will rejoice, as we find in verses 6 through 8. Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man. Their hearts shall rejoice as if with wine. That did their being, they will be exceedingly glad and joyous because they have been able to return to the Lord. He says in verse 6, They shall be as though I had not cast them aside. When they return to God, it will be as if they had never left. When they come to God with having truly repented and turning back to Him. We also want to realize that God requires God requires godly leaders. He requires righteous leaders. As we go forward to, to Zechariah chapter 11 and looking at verse 8, we find that God dismisses those who do not measure up to His standard. You remember, the Bible says, He dismissed the three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them, and their soul abhorred me. You think about what he's saying there. That he couldn't stand them because of their wickedness. And they couldn't stand God because of his righteousness. They abhorred him. That was, they couldn't stand to be around him. Sometimes when we talk to people about the Bible, sometimes it's as simple as inviting someone to, to a service or to, to a, a, a event here at the church. That people get very upset and be, become very uncomfortable. We find here in verse 8, that seems a very similar idea. They weren't comfortable having God over them. They abhorred him there in verse 8. And as a result, we find in verse 8, he says, My soul loathed them, and they were dismissed very, very quickly. He loathes those who despise truth, and they, and they loathe him in return. God will end his graciousness to those who are inadequate leaders. We find in verse 10, he says, I took my staff, beauty, and cut it in two, that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. Why did he break the covenant? Because they had broken their covenant of being faithful to him. They were no longer loyal to him. So God will end his graciousness to those who are inadequate leaders and those who are not loyal to him. We must be those who will be humble enough, who will humble themselves and return to God if we depart from him. These leaders were not willing to see the error of their ways, and they were dismissed. What happens on the day of judgment if we are not prepared? The Bible says the wicked will be dismissed, won't they? If here, find there in the book of Matthew, Christ says, many will say to him that day, Lord, have we not done he lists numerous things that they would say they would done in his name. He says, then I'll tell them, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's being dismissed, isn't it? Because they did not reach up to measure up to the righteous standard. They were not obedient to his word. And so for that reason, they were dismissed. And the same will happen to us if we were not those who are following God's word and prepared for that day of judgment. Those who are leaders will do well to remember the standards God has for them. It's not what we think. It's what God's word has said. We lead and we teach and we preach and we guide people in accordance to the word of God. We don't want to be those that when we compare what we are trying to do to the Bible and say, you know what, I don't think I'll be dismissed within a month. I think I'll be dismissed on the first day. We don't want to say that. We don't want to have that problem in our life. We want to be those who 
when we look at what God requires of those who are trying to be leaders and godly leaders and godly examples in the church, that God would look upon us as being approved of and being, doing, being those who are doing what is good and right in His sight. This evening, as you think about these things, you think about these events in Zechariah. Like I said, this was a very brief overview of some things for us to consider, but we find the same problems in Zechariah we still see today. Coming back to God, being loyal to Him, and being those who are, if we are leaders in the church, being those who are actually measuring up to God's standard of righteousness, because we do not want to be someone who would be so quickly dismissed by God. This evening, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. We can pray for you, whatever you need may be. We're glad to do so. That's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>